New Orleans banjoist, vocalist, and educator Don Vappi originally resisted the banjo, but is now considered a virtuoso on the instrument. He has worked with everyone from Peggy Lee to Eric Clapton and records and produces for film and television. More than the records he heard growing up, Don feels his greatest musical influence was the rich musical culture of New Orleans and the influence of his musically sophisticated family, who exposed him to a wide range of music from classical to funk. Don has a strong connection to the Creole culture of the area and talked to me about what that means to him and how that term is often misunderstood. Don and I recorded the following conversation at the Dewdrop Dance and Social Club in Mandeville, Louisiana, a historic, much-weathered church-like structure where we first met in 2014 when we shared the bill as the evening's entertainment. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I started by asking Don Vappi why he originally shied away from playing the banjo. Growing up in New Orleans, and it's it's kind of weird, but my generation uh, learned from the generation before me that the banjo has this uh, attachment to Jim Crow. It sort of was a symbol of oppression or stereotyping, mm. that type of thing. Mm. So in general, black people avoided it, mm. and that that's why it in general, black people don't like the banjo. Mm. Um, I think I've changed that a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> He says carefully. Yeah, but I actually have people, have black people, come and see me play the banjo. And I asked them one time, I said, you know, I, black folks hate the banjo. And I said, yeah, well, maybe we didn't like the way it was being played. <laughs> so, oh, I like that a lot. But it, it's... it's uh, you know, my thing was, I, I got into it just like, you know, working at Warline's music store. Mm. This is, I'd quit the funk band. Mm-hmm. The song was Bad Mama Jamma. We played it for 25 minutes, and I was playing bass, and I, my words were, you can teach a chimpanzee to do this. I quit, because <laughs> it was so repetitious. Yeah. And maybe I was a bit harsh, because that, that's not... You know, the music wasn't the problem. I just, maybe I was bored or maybe I had whatever issues. Anyway, I sold all my stuff. Three months later, I tried to buy them all back. In the meantime, I got a job at Warlines selling instruments. So I had to clean these instruments, you know, wipe them off, mm-hmm. make them look nice to sell. And mm-hmm. banjos were up there. And I'd fool around with it. And it had, um, it had the sound of a muted guitar line that you would play in a funk tune, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Banjo was perfect for that. Mm. So that's the first thing that drew me to it. Um, from there, I, I started playing with, like, trios, doing little gigs around town, you know, convention stuff, uh, receptions, little small weddings, and... Um, one of the guys I was working for says, man, you ought to get a banjo, you know. And I was thinking about it anyway, but his reason was the tourist will love, will love it, you know. And I'm like, so what? <laughs> you know, so anyway, I ended up getting one, tuned it like the top four of the guitar. 
And uh, I played it like that for a long time. I, I had this gig in a mall, in, in the Esplanade Mall near the airport, a trio. We played brunch on Saturday and Sunday, and it was a two-hour gig each day. Banjo, snare drum, and clarinet. And it was swinging. <laughs> it was really swinging. I bet. And those are um, the gigs that really get repertoire set. And we had, a, we had people coming out in the food court to hear us every week. You know, we'd play the first set in the food court, and then we'd stroll around the mall. Mm. So we had regulars coming out, people dancing. That's wonderful. It was, it was great. Anyway, uh, from there, the, one of the people working at Preservation Hall came out to the mall. I guess uh, Father Al, who was playing there, got sick or whatever, and they needed another banjo player. So she asked me to, if I would wanted to do that gig. And you know, I said, okay. And I went in the first night, and it was, uh, let's see. I know Freddie Coleman was playing drums. It's probably just as artists and... Jeanette Kimball, Louis Nelson, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who else was there. Maybe Manny Crusto mm-hmm. or uh, Kid Chic on trumpet. Anyway, uh, that night as I was leaving, uh, Freddie Coleman shouted at top of his voice, you know, in the hallways, in that carriageway. He says, hey, Vappy, you going to be here Friday? Because it was a Tuesday night, mm-hmm. and it, it was a Tuesday-Friday gig. I said, I don't know, they haven't asked me yet. And he goes, I sure hope so. You know, and that was his way of letting them know that I was Aww. okay. So um, that was sort of the big, that's how the banjo started. But actually, before that, I ended up getting a gig, even before the mall. I was doing solo thing on the riverboat, the Natchez. Mm-hmm. And Vic Tooker was the guy walking around. He had played with his family and the whole bit. They had a band. So I started, I took his place strolling on the Natchez. And this was, you know, this is almost like straight out of the box. I knew some tunes, but I wasn't sure of a lot of them. And uh, it was like my learning experience. Mm -hmm. Go play for people. And it was a really good experience because now when I do have a gig of my own, whether it's a trio or five pieces or whatever, if no one shows up, I know I'll be okay because mm. I can play solo. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to make it happen. There's nothing 
like solo playing. You're talking to another person who's yeah. played a lot of solo. Yeah. And I've had very funny conversations with soloists because if you've done it a lot, you've worked everything out psychologically. <laughs> Don't right. you think that's true? I yeah. mean, you really, it's a good experience it is. Of, of really it making is. you dig deep. Why am I doing this? What can I do that's new? Don't you think? Yeah. And then, you know, how can I make this sound full mm. with this tenor banjo? My guest, Don Vappi, on Cracker Jack, from his CD, Banjo a la Creole. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. And I started singing more. Never thought of myself as a singer. I love your singing. Well, thank you. But that's another voice. That's, that yeah. was, I, that's something I've been thinking about because it's so recent for me that I thought, oh, wait, I've got another instrument. 
Right. So you're exactly. not a soul anymore. You have your you're your instrument and your voice. You're a duo. You get so. Your two people come out at once. Exactly. So, you know, I, and from there, from all of those things, the next big thing that happened was uh, I got a call from Jazz at Lincoln Center, wanted to do a program on, I think it was Jelly Roll Morton and Johnny Dodds. And I ended up doing that. And when they sent me the music, um, I did some research and all, and I realized that a lot of that music, Johnny St. Cyr played on it, and he played a six-string guitar banjo. Oh. So I thought, well, you know, I'll get one of those. So I found one, and uh, this guy in Madison, Wisconsin, Richelieu, Richelieu banjos, the old man was living at the time. And I... Uh, I told him what I was looking for, and he found one. Wow. So I got it. It's an old, I still have it. It's a Vega from 1921. Wow. I had a truss rod put in the neck to make sure it was straight. And mm-hmm. all, you know. So um, when I did that, I'm skipping forward and condensing yeah, some years here. Yeah, but that's here, interesting. But I did what was that, that like? The six string? Yeah. It's different. It. You can't play it like a guitar. Even though you, you the notes are the same, you can't play the same... Uh, you might have to play two or three strings at a time, or you can't just play a full power chord yeah, because yeah. it just doesn't sound good. Yeah. So maybe kind of Freddie Greenish. Yeah, that's not so many notes. Yeah. And then the low pitch too, and the tighter tuning harmonically, tighter the voicing, tighter. They they seem to interfere with each other. The too many harmonics yeah, going yeah. on or something. But um. When I got that one and played it, then I thought one night when I was got back home, you know, I thought, well, hell, I tune this tenor banjo in tenor tuning, which is in fifths, uh, C, G, D, A, and I had, I learned how to a major and minor chord uh, fingering, you know, on with the bass note on two one time on the C string and then in the bass note on the G string and. I just went to work <laughs> that yeah. night. It was yeah. a Tuesday. I went to work and I thought, you know, playing the same thing all the time over there. So I just went to work. And from there, just just went up. It seems, you know, you're, of course, you're talking to a, a pianist who thinks about these things very differently. But isn't it a big leap to suddenly be playing with a completely different tuning? That would take a lot of work to get used to that, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, it did. But, you know... I studied bass, so playing yeah, guitar Yeah, but a chimp was, can play the bass. We yeah, already established not, that. Not a, not a string bass. Not a, <laughs> right, that's right. See, I'm listening. A chimpanzee can play the electric bass. Right? <laughs> They're repetitious. I got you. Uh, anyway, yeah. but no, but the bass, it already helped, so you knew yeah, that I kinda, helped with that. You know, and the thing is, I got a guitar because we couldn't find one. When I was a teenager, we couldn't find somebody to play in our garage band. So, so you were the guitarist? You were the default person? I the, yeah, I said, oh, I've been watching this other guy play. I'll get one. Oh, that's and I figured great. out my chords from the piano. I, I would, because I had piano lessons when I was really young from a cousin who, by the way, taught Moses Hogan and other people. And wow. She's a great, great teacher. Marie Moten was her mm-hmm. name. And her son, Richard Moten, still plays bass here in town. And, and the, Working together with him is 
as much as possible. He's great. Cousins, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, but as I would sit at the piano and figure out, like, okay, a C chord has C, E, and G in it. So how can I get C, E, and G within the reach of my fingers in the space on this fingerboard? Mm-hmm. That's how I figured out chords. So you really did it on your own. I really did. Yeah. yeah. And I explained is- that to Dr. John, and he's like, wow, man. <laughs> well, know, like- it, but yeah. Well, because I did the same thing on piano yeah. when I, I listened to uh, my first uh, is actually funny, Moten. It was uh, basically with Moten's band and uh, Benny Moten's band. And I loved it so much that I figured it all out. But I didn't even know, I knew what it what a G chord was, but I didn't know when I heard it, that's a G chord. I had to take it, oh, okay, so that's a G and I would figure it out and put it all down. But it makes you, I don't know how else to say it, but I think you own the music in a different way. Because you fought for every one of those notes yeah. and really, in a deep way, understand them, don't you think? I mean, yeah, we, it's, uh, you learn it more as as you did your language. Yeah, um, that's not to discount having lessons or anything, but yeah, I wish I, I'd had better lessons. But that's still, it's it's I interesting that you learned it that way. Any lessons. lessons, period. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but everything I, I've applied, everything my bass teacher. Uh, taught me I've applied to any string instrument I play. Mm. Hey, pal, do you know anything about the latest dance they got out now? Why, no, I don't. What is the latest dance they got out now? Well, the latest dance they got out now is called the Scoodlum Scoop. Hey, man, you're going to like it. It goes something like this. Now, I know a lady by the name of Sue. She likes to know what to do. So sit right over there, sweet mama. I'm going to tell you just what to do. Going to tell you just before you go. You got to scoot lump scoot. Yeah, baby, just scoot lump scoot. Scoot lump scoot. Scoot lump scoot lump scoot. Now when you're out in society, don't forget to care for me. Just scoot lump scoot. Scoot lump scoot. Yeah, baby, just scoot lump scoot. Come on, sugar, now scoot, lump, scoot. Yeah, scoot, lump, scoot. Scoot, lump, scoot, lump, scoot. Scoot, lump, scoot. Now she's a woman, hard to beat. All you gotta do to dance is stay on your feet. You just scoot, lump, scoot. Scoot, lump, scoot. guest Don Vappi on banjo with his Creole Jazz Serenaders.
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. You work like crazy. I I loved it that you said you did that and then you just got to work because that's really what it is. Just you're going to teach yourself, you're going to figure this out. But who were you listening to in terms of banjo players or guitar players? Talk about a couple of your influences. You know, as far as banjo players go, I... I think it was something I, that I just heard in my life because mm. I had this concept in my head that I really didn't listen to anybody in particular, mm. not no recordings or anything, but um, it was always in New Orleans. The banjo didn't didn't disappear mm-hmm. in New Orleans. So um, I had this idea of what how it should be played. Mm-hmm. Or how I would play it. Right. Not should be, but how mm-hmm. I would play it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because much later, after I'd already been playing for a while, uh, my wife said to me, because we started doing research on uh, Creole and Caribbean and mm. things. She's, she's a historian, so she ah. digs in like, you know. Like a historian, a right. <laughs> squirrel looking for that nut, you know. She, oh, she starts digging, man. So, exactly. Anyway, she um, she told me one day, she says, you know, you you play more like a Caribbean player than, say, a New Orleans player. Now, that's an interesting observation. Which, when you look at the influence of the Caribbean on New Orleans, and which a lot of historians consider New Orleans the most northern part of the Caribbean, mm. I... I'm a natural evolution of what a banjo would be played like in New Orleans. Yeah, isn't that interesting? You think interesting. of it like that. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't just play four. Bump, 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 right, bump, bump, right. Bump. I, I've mixed my rhythms in. Ding, 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 ding. I did all kinds of stuff. I, I did what I thought sounded good to me. And you were... You were an outgrowth of what you've been listening to all that time, whether you were thinking yeah. about it or not, because yeah. you're surrounded by music. Right. I mean, that's what's really different. If you take somebody living in a different place, they're not going to be surrounded by anything except maybe their high school pop music, yeah. whatever's going on. And but you had all these always, other things. She always had music in the house. So. What did she have? Oh, anything. She, when she was older, she watched. she'd watch TV, you know, if it... Uh, PBS would have a concert. It didn't matter if it was rap, if, if it was classical music, if it was opera. She would, she enjoyed it. She just enjoyed music. So she was a music lover, but it sounds like she had pretty sophisticated taste. If she yeah, was she just to that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, you know, all my my grandmother, her mother, and all of her brothers and sisters were musicians. Mm-hmm. And you know, Papa John Joseph and his brother Nelson had a barbershop across the street from Buddy Bolden's house. <laughs> I read this in a book. <laughs> I didn't even know any of this. Oh, you know? man. I mean, that's hip. When my grandmother was living with us, uh, she was, I guess, close to 90, if not already in her 90s. She saw me practicing the guitar one day, and she says, you know, I used to do that. I used to play guitar. I said, really? I said, why'd you stop? She said, arthritis. So, and, and she just kind of told me, and I said, oh, okay, and I let it go. But then I started finding out, you know, she played banjo too. Papa John played bass. You know, they all played string instruments. But you have music in your family all around, what you were listening to. Yeah. And I, I love that thought of the Caribbean influence because 
Well, first time I heard you, I thought you sounded very different from the banjo players I had heard, but I'm, I'm coming from a more traditional background in terms of my listening. Although you do play, I was delighted to see that you had recorded a tune that I don't know what it's called. I'm going to look it up now because I thought it was heebie-jeebies and you thought it was heebie-jeebs. Yeah, I thought so it was So I'm going to look for it. So talk about this tune and this incredible recording, not to be too effusive, oh, but I'm knocked you. out by it. So talk about it because I was nice. really delighted to see that you had recorded you know what, this. The way I, I, Robert Parker turned me on to this. Robert was one of the people who helped invent the Cedar system and remove pops and scratches from records. And he did a bunch of recordings that he uh, cleaned up for uh, ABC Records, an Australian company, I think. Anyway, Robert wanted to record a band with today's uh, technology and equipment. And he wanted to do that with instruments from that period playing King Oliver's music because he thought the recordings, you just couldn't clean them up in a way that he thought. Right, right. Now, he had his own idea of what it sounded like, too. Right, right, right. But still, we did it. saying he's a very modern player you know his dad Clyde Kerr senior had a, a book a big band Clyde's one of Winton's teachers Clyde's you know Noka he's he's the man sorry he's gone but I remember Clyde we took a break and Clyde said man this music don't have no rest <laughs> <laughs> welcome to our world yeah you know, nowadays you can get up you play the head and then you walk in the back and watch somebody solo for 10 minutes you know but you know Oliver man they were playing through the whole tune and absolutely three or four minutes was like forever Thank you. 
my guest Don Vappi on banjo on Heap Jeebs from his CD, Swing Out. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Stride Queen. To find out more about my CDs and where I'm touring and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. And check out my new CD, my first with originals, Can You Love Once More? Judy and Harry play Carmichael and Allen. Available on iTunes and at judycarmichael.com. My guest is banjoist, bassist, guitarist, Don Vappi. So when you're playing some of this, some of these older things that I don't even know where one would find it, you must have to be transcribing that. Are you transcribing it? Yeah, I transcribed, um, I transcribed and then made it fit the instrumentation I had. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. For the, in, at the time. Mm-hmm. So... Like I did a transcription of um, uh, Liza, mm-hmm. which was the flip side of Tisket a Tasket, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, in the 78. That was my first record, by the way. My grandmother gave me that. Aww. And I always liked Liza. I know Tisket a Tasket was the hit, but even when I was a kid, I had my little Decca record player, and I'd open it up and I'd flip it over, and I thought Liza was just, wow, you know, da 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 and Shows just, how hip you were even at a young age. I yeah, love that tune. I, I do too. Mm-hmm. 
Chick Webb and his orchestra on Liza. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. So talking about Charles Wright. Okay, Charles Wright. This, I can't remember what age I was. Uh, maybe, I don't know, 12 or 13 maybe. But I remember the name of the band. It was Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band. That was, was a long name. But the tune, and it, it's uh, now, now I've heard people describe it as uh, a, one of the first funk bands. Because it's, anyway, I was I always funk. drawn to this tune. Because one of the things that makes funk happen, in my opinion, is the space between the, the part. Everybody has a role to play in the band. The same as in old-time New Orleans jazz. Yeah. Everybody's got a role. And you start crossing over that role, you interfere. I mean, King Oliver, uh, Johnny St. Cyr was doing an interview, and he mentioned that in so many words. He said... At one point, Oliver went over to Lil Hardin and said, hey, look, you don't need to play all of that up there because we got a clarinet player in the band. He was, yeah, you know, okay, this is your role. Leave the clarinet's doing that. Leave that mm -hmm. alone. Mm -hmm. So, but this funk tune, Express Yourself is the name of it. And, oh, man, it's, it was always my favorite tune. I, I even, Eric Clapton asked me, you know, what are your influences? I said, buy that record, man. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Because it's like, you know, and this guy was boom, ding, dun, 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 boom, boom, That's like the bass line and the guitar playing. And at one point he's da 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 Express yourself. And, you know, James Brown was like, uh, give it to me. This guy was like, express yourself. Huh. You know, it was like completely opposite, but it was like almost like cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just a lot cooler. was just funky. Express yourself. Express yourself. You don't know. to explain to me, because I've had so many different explanations of what it means to be Creole or what Creole music is, that whole thing. Talk about this. Okay. Creole, um, there's, there are many definitions, so I understand the confusion. Um, for me, um, I decided... And most people decide 
that are of uh, Creole heritage that it's a cultural heritage. It's not a color thing. It got it got turned into a color thing because you know down here in southeast Louisiana, we have. It's kind of stupid when you think about it, but we had this this law, this Jim Crow thing that was countrywide, I guess, you know, nationwide, where based on how much African blood you had, you'd be uh, labeled a Negro or colored or black or African-American, whatever it was at the time. So that just seems stupid to me because there's a cultural difference between say, black people down here and black people that are from New York. This is a big cultural difference. Um, and you, when you look at southeast Louisiana, New Orleans, you look at not just the way people look, but the way they cook, the way they talk. A lot of it has a, has a, big, has a big French influence in it, which is connected to the Caribbean, um, there's also the, it's also connected to France. There's also a wide range of, of different cultures here. The Irish, there's Spanish, the French, the German, the Portuguese, the English, um, South American, Cuban. I mean, it's all, all of these different people here. American Indians mm-hmm. were here first. Yeah, right. <laughs> so... Um, the Cajuns who came down from Acadia, up mm-hmm. to Canada, you know, uh, they settled a bit west of New Orleans. But the Creole thing for me is cultural. I decided to start using it in the early 90s when I called my band the Creole Jazz Serenaders. And that was a conscious decision to try and redefine it as a cultural thing. Because before that, if you said you were Creole, if you if you were considered black, like I am, and you said you were Creole, then it was like you were trying to escape your black identity. Oh, that's interesting. And um, that's how a lot of black people looked at it. And now it, this is all sort of time sensitive in terms of what period. You know, you look right. at the 50s where a lot of people, a lot of light-skinned black people left here and maybe went to California and just decided to be white. Right. You know, they make that decision. Um, so, but really, it's it's a cultural designation. And from talking to different people, there are very people of very dark skin complexion who prefer the term Creole because it more correctly identifies them culturally than, say, African American. Got it. But that's individuals. Mm-hmm. So, for me. I like the term. I'm not trying to escape being black or nothing. I'm happy with that. Mm-hmm. That's I'm born into this world, and that's a little. But the other thing is, people always arguing about who uh, about oppression. Well, I think it was white people that made this Jim Crow law, right? Mm-hmm. So white people decided you're going to be this, and that's sort of my my. Uh, protest against the system mm. is that you can't tell me what I am. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I married my wife, in we got married in South Carolina. When I had to apply for my marriage license, they gave me four choices. They said I could be white, black, um, 
Hispanic or other. And other meant, maybe other meant Hispanic, or maybe there were three choices. <laughs> my, my thing was, hey, man, I'm, when you look at my ancestry, I'm African, French, Irish, Cajun, and American Indian that I can find. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know. So did you put other? Because other to them meant Hispanic or it meant one thing. Right, right, right. And and it's crazy that I have this this loyalty or this loyalty to truth because I, I really, it really messed me up because, you know, I applied for school loans when I was in college and stuff, and I got a lot of them because I was minority. I took mm-hmm. advantage of mm-hmm. that. I paid them all back, mm-hmm. even though I dropped out. But I just, I feel this sense of, of truth, this sense of honesty. Um, my dad was the Really great teacher on that. I just one instance I remember him. We're in the drugstore, K and B drugstore on Carrollton and Palmetto, and he gave the lady I don't know ten bucks, and she gave him the wrong change. She gave him too much, and he told her, "You gave me too much back." She says, "No, I didn't." He said, "Yeah, I gave you a ten or whatever it was, mm. and you owe me this. You this," and the guy behind him was like. Man, you should just take the money. And he looked at the guy and says, it's not mine. Mm. And he gave it back. So this, here's a sense of, of, I mean, that one lesson was like, you know, right and wrong, right in your face. Right. So I've sort of been with that. And, and now in this, this uh, new world now where everything is judged by appearance, I've had I've actually had black people come up and tell me I couldn't speak for a certain situation because I'm not really black. Or I've had the same come from white. But then, you know, is anything really black or white? Mm. No, I <laughs> love you not, saying it. You know? I, I have to tell you, I resent having to fill that out because why do I have to fill it out? That's what always strikes me. Well, I used to fill out on the race thing when I was in high school. Mm. I would enter Indy 500. <laughs> oh, I'm going to use that because I'm white and I've never been, I, I don't know what it's like to yeah, be discriminated. Even being, that, I mean, you know, I always wondered, race, but what I'm thinking, is white? Yeah, why do you have to, I mean, I'm saying what I have What does white all, mean? Well, exactly. I'm like you. Does We're it actually mean Irish? Related. Does it mean English? I'm Irish, does it I'm mean German, German, I'm Scottish. I'm all so, those things. So you and I actually have a lot see, of the white, same. That makes less sense to me than black. Yeah, well, and you're right. So it doesn't. So I've put other. I admit it here. I've actually yeah. checked other just because. I think it's. I think it's stupid. Yeah. But, you know, it's going to be a long time to get past that. Yeah. For yeah. everyone else. But I love you saying that, and I love that you that you consciously chose the name for your group because there's so many times that movie stars or extremely famous people will step out because they have a forum, because people know who they are, and they will speak about things of which they know very little. And you have taken something that's a cultural identity and something you think about and brought it with your music in a very different way that I really love, because that's a way that you've been able to make a statement that you wanted to, and not in some 
random way that, that, like I say, like somebody's at the Academy Awards, mm. and instead of saying thank you for my award, I worked hard on this movie and I appreciate the acknowledgement of that, they go off in some crazy direction yeah. and make the rest of us listen to it. So I think that's great. Well, you know, having said all that, one of my big banjo influences was when I was in St. Lucia and I saw a quartet play. It was banjo, violin, conga drum, and shaker. Ooh. What I've found is that's, that's the African connection for me as a New Orleanian is by way of the Caribbean. So, I mean, I can musically relate to these guys because they, because they accept it. <laughs> Not because I think I can do it, but, and uh, honestly, I, I, when I play with them sometimes, I, I, I just can't count because it's not counting. It's not about counting. It's not about, it's not about something you can write down for me. It's, it's more like you have to just try to feel where you are and, and do it. Another instance that was important, I was on tour, I think it was Virginia, I really can't say, but I was walking from the hotel to find a place to buy water, and it was an African-American museum, or an African museum, I'm sorry. And I went in, I said, let me see what this is about, you know, I went in, guy's there by himself, 
And we start talking. I said, hey, man, you know, I'm from New Orleans, and I know there's African influence, but I really don't know what African stuff sounds like. We start talking a long time. And there's, he gave me some, you know, he gave me a CD, and I bought a DVD off him. He says, look, when you, when you listen to this or when you watch this, don't separate the music from the dance because you won't understand it. Well, right there, that clicked with me with the whole second-line culture in New Orleans, the whole the idea of the music and the people. And whenever you see interviews of older musicians from New Orleans, they, they talk about playing to the people and the people feeding them. It's like this symbiotic relationship, maybe, or it's a real give and take. I mean, they both feed on each other. So that right there, plus the fact when the guy's telling me about his life and I'm telling him about mine and he, the, for the first time in my life, now I'm well into my life. I'm maybe in my forties, and and the guy says, um, "How wonderful to have such diversity in your family." Mm. And it's like, whoa, you know? Yeah, let's, let's drop all. <laughs> that was great. It's and no so one beautiful. had ever said anything to me like that. You know, I always, sometimes, always, there have been times when I've had to feel like I needed to defend who I was mm. or, or not say anything or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a real moment for me. I love these orchestrations with the recordings that you brought me and to have banjo with orchestra on these things too, on some of these. Talk about this, because you did the orchestrations. Yes, I did. Uh, Richard Rosenberg asked me if I had anything, and I said yes. (laughs) Of course you didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Always say yes. And my wife said, she says, you can do it. You can do it. She's great. You know, she's very supportive. You can do it. You can do it. And I did it. (laughs) My, Have you studied orchestration? No. I had a book. <laughs> I love that when people say, I had a book. Yeah. That's Good. how I rebuilt the transmission in my uh, Ford Mustang, 66 Mustang. This is very impressive. I had a book. <laughs> I actually find building the engine less impressive than doing orchestrations <laughs> from a book. I have to tell you, that is amazing. Well, I had an idea. I just treated every section of the orchestra as another instrument in the band. In mm-hmm. other words, the violin section, the viola section, or the string section sometimes. Then you had the horns, which we deal with all the time. Yeah. Then you have the bass, mm-hmm. you have the drums, do things. It's still really impressive. Yeah. 
That's great. Well, flapperette's my favorite because I put all these little piccolo and flute things to mimic birds. I tried to imagine a flapperette with, you know, a lady walking with her big dress and mm-hmm. through the park and birds flying and stuff. And It's fantastic. I'm a big cartoon freak, so that helps. Me too. So we have to say just a little bit about where we are. We're both freezing in here, though, yeah. because it's it's a rare, really cold day here. It's a damp day. It's a damp day in Mandeville. We're still in Mandeville, right? Yes. Okay, Mandeville, Louisiana. Which was we, all Creole. Oh, well, there you go. It fits yeah. with our theme here. And Creoles made a lot of money on this 100 years ago when they sold the property. Yeah. I would, <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're in the Dew Drop Inn. And which is over 100 years old, correct? Do drop. Uh, no, it, I'm social, saying it wrong. Social club. What, what is it? Social. Do drop social dance hall or something like it was. It was a society. You know, it was one of those uh, social, uh, what do you call them? Societies where people joined and they yeah. helped bury you and that kind of stuff. And we met when we both so, played here. Right. We were on the same The Drop Inn is in New Orleans. That's right, where the, Right, I don't want to, not you know, to be confused. Not to be confused. But this confused. is such a, um, I was going to say it's such a cool place, except you and I are shivering because it's so cold it's in here. It's very cool. Well, it isn't, it isn't. Uh, That's I'll because have, it's original. There's no insulation. No insulation. It's single walls. And it has built sort from, of, the benches look like pews. So yes. it's sort of like we're in a church, but it's, it's a great space and I love being here again with you and doing this. We found out we have even more in common than we knew. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be playing together sometime soon. That'd be nice. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with banjoist Don Vappi. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com and stream from our website at JazzInspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Florian guitar. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, and to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Stride Queen. 
Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Special thanks to Gilda and Henry Block and the Ken Colker Foundation. For more information, visit judycarmichael.com.